0: I do have the privilege of one of the best congregations, and no offense, uh, but it has been such a joy to pastor and walk alongside 18 to 22-year-olds that are trying to uh, give their entire life to Jesus Christ and radically advance his kingdom. And Andy being one of them, it's been just an utter honor. Um, Earlier, Chad said he he companioned with me during a time in my life where I was uh, back and forth around the edge of faith, but the reality was I was way over the edge. Um, and and Chad and Christine, by opening their home, threw me a line and tethered me to something that was significant and and ultimately drew me into the presence of Christ um, to a place where I could make a personal commitment to Jesus Christ, be baptized in the church that they were serving uh, with, and I would uh, attribute and have attributed much of the reason that I follow Jesus Christ to that small Bible study where they made space for a person who was way over the edge And, um, but we're willing to reach out and throw a line. So I pray, uh, even this morning, if you know people like that, that you just feel frustrated because there's so much on the other side, man, throw them a line, tether yourself to them and don't let them go. Uh, it does often end up in the proclaiming of the Jesus Christ in a bold way. So, um, I also have my family here. If I could just uh, say a, a special welcome, my entire family, I don't know that we've all been together for, I don't know, a long time, but my brother and sister and my mother and all their kids, um. Can raise your hands, you can greet them nicely. They're sister in law, they're all here. And um I I couldn't be more excited to see them and to uh share this day with them, so uh, let me you, start with a story. Several weeks ago, I was walking across North Park's campus, and if you haven't been there, or if you weren't there for maybe the last 20 years, North Park campus, which used to be pretty dreary and actually not a, a site for sore eyes, has become spectacularly beautiful because they got all this money for this big landscape uh, renovation. And so now there are flowers everywhere on campus, and it's beautiful. It's like a little oasis in the city. We've received awards for it. It's delightful. Uh, if you want to come down you want to send your kids there, um, you can come stay at my house. I'll show you the campus. And, and uh, But I was walking across campus, and, and and I'm from the Midwest. I grew up in Apple Valley, Minnesota. And so I know winters are tough, right? And, and unless you do winter sports, there's very little redemptive about just living through winter in the Midwest. And Chicago's even worse. We don't even get that much snow. It's just cold and icy. And so when spring comes and things start to come out of the ground, I mean, I'm just a sucker for spring. I mean, I just, I, something changes in me. I know Andy says people smile when they're around me, but but, but but in the spring, I mean, it's just irrepressible for me. So I was walking across campus and I noticed that our rose bushes had just become bloom uh and, and, and so i looked at it they were across this space of lawn of which there was no path to it and i was wearing heels as i'm known to do because i'm not ashamed of my height and uh and and i i decided well i looked around make sure nobody was looking and and i mean i just wanted to smell them you know so i looked around the students have left campus like i tiptoed across the grass in my heels i leaned over and oh, i don't know roses just have the smell of summer for me and it smelled so good i went to the next bush I smelled that one and, and I looked and no one's there. And so I kept moving down and smelling every open rose I could find. I, I got close to the end and all of a sudden I noticed there was a group of men in suits watching. And um, I felt a little awkward and they're like, do you need help? And I was like, no. I, I said, but you got to stop and smell the roses. I mean, there's a rainstorm coming and they'll be gone by next week. And I said, it's so short the time for smelling. The, the, the time to embrace this. Is so short in our world. I just don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss out on the joy of smelling. Uh, Later that day, I was having an appointment at one of my offices on campus, which is at the local Starbucks, and um, and it's right across from campus. And I always tell students when they come, I always buy the first cup, but they have to buy the second, keeps them from using the relationship. And, uh, but I was going over there for a cup of coffee and I, and I was kind of late. And so I was hurrying along and I don't know if you realize when you hurry, you know, you don't pay attention to anything. You get real focused to your destination. And I was hurrying along, but I noticed a couple guys walking in front of me and you may not have this problem in Maple Grove, but in Chicago, we have a lot of homelessness and, and around the Chicago area or around the North park area, there's a significant amount of people struggling financially. And there was a gentleman and a friend and his friend walking in front of me with a shopping cart all their belongings in it, which is how you live if you're homeless. And and they were walking along and I noticed them and, and, uh, and yet you know, I was in a hurry and a hurry. And, and right when I was gonna cross the street to go to Starbucks, I looked up, I noticed only one of them was there. And I was like, there were two people there just a second ago. I, I, what happened to the other guy? And I looked and then I noticed he had fallen off the curb and was laying on Foster Avenue. And, and, and people were just driving around him. I mean, his head was in the lane of traffic. And nobody was even stopping. They were just swerving around his head. And I'm like, on my way to Starbucks, on my way to Starbucks, on my way to Starbucks. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, you noticed him. That means he's yours. You noticed him. So I was like I stopped my trajectory over to starbucks. I went back and well This man was quite intoxicated Which is a coping mechanism of people who don't have homes and who are ignored all the time And and so I he didn't have much intelligible to say but I I helped him up He'd injured himself. I I helped clean that up a little bit and and I didn't have much to say to him I just held him for a little bit till he could get his composure and and helped him on his feet and helped him with his Friend go back down the street and and as I was walking I just felt like god said isn't it so great? That's how I noticed you when you had nothing intelligible to say or to offer, I came, I sat with you and was near to you. And I thought, man, I could have just missed that. And I, I think so often that we walk past so much of life because we don't want to look stupid, uh, because we think it'll be there tomorrow, uh, because we, we don't, don't want to be awkward because we're, we're on our way to somewhere. We just miss out on so much of our real life. Sometimes I think that we're missing out on most of our real life. The real life around us. The real life that has potential to bring us joy and we miss it. James 4 says that our lives are but a mist and Job 7 7 says your life is just a breath and Psalm 102 says your days are just like an evening shadow and Psalm 103 your days are like grass. You're going to flourish like a flower in the field and the wind will blow it over and it'll be gone and its place will remember it no more. A mist, a breath, a shower, a shadow, a blade of grass. In the United States, life expectancy today is, is higher than almost anywhere in the world. It's in the top 10. It's approximately 77 years of age, 73.6 years for men. And women, we're going to outlive them by almost six years. And we'll, on average, live 79.4 years. It's not that much time, really. And, and this isn't a dress rehearsal. You're not going to get to come back and do this life again. This is really it. I mean, this is your real life. And it's a mist and a breath and a shadow and a mere blade of a blade of grass and a flower that will fall. And if we're but but just but mist, we got to get after it. Mist is gone by noon. Faster than you can blink. This will all be done. This is it. it. It's your real life. Right now is your real life. And you could miss it. You could miss it. We have to embrace it. We don't know how many days we might have. This is your life. Today is part of your real life. Real life is going on all around us and and so often we have our heads down and our ears plugged in and our in our minds thinking about something We have no control over and, and our eyes fixed on a place about six feet in front of us And all around us our real life is going on and we're missing it I think I think we walk through our life this way because we're waiting for our real life to begin I see this all the time in students at the university you know, it's like they're, they're just waiting to graduate because then real life begins. And I want to tell them, no, this is your real life. This year on campus, we lost four students to death. Man, they might have thought that their real life was going to begin when they graduated. But that was their real life. And they could have missed it. Real life going on all around us But we think that it's going to be over the horizon or just around the corner Or or when we graduate or when we get married or when we have kids or when we get a job Or when we sell the house then our real life will begin But today even this moment is part of your real life and I got news for you Living into your real life is your best shot at joy If If you're living in in constant view of the life that's next You'll miss out on all the joy that your real life actually holds this gives you the best shot at true joy if you don't, uh, don't, don't just miss out on it. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Contrary to what the world around you will tell you, and contrary to what all the commercials are trying to convince you of, joy is not found in what you don't yet have. Joy is not something that's yet to come for you. Joy isn't going to be in the next purchase or the next thing that happens in your life. Joy is actually found in embracing what you already have right here and right now. This is the day the Lord has made. And we're to rejoice and be glad in it. John Ortberg, in his his popular book that I've read countless times, How to Live the Life You've Always Wanted, he says it this way. And I quote, We all live with the illusion that joy will come someday when conditions change. We go to school and we think we'll be happy when we graduate. We're single and we're convinced we'll be happy when we get married. We get married and we decide we'll be happy someday when we have children. We have children and decide we'll be happy when they grow up and leave. <laughs> then they do and we think we were happier when they were still at home. If we don't rejoice today, we won't rejoice at all, he says. If we wait until conditions are perfect, we will still be waiting when we die. And I would add, you will miss out on your real life. Joy is uh, not found in what you don't yet have. Joy is actually found in embracing what is already here. This is the day the Lord has made. And we can rejoice and be glad in it. But we're going to have to learn the discipline of rejoicing in the now. Or there will always be the next. And see, that next just keeps trying to deceive you. And tell you that true joy and the the real reason for celebration and genuine thanks, it's going to come when the situation changes. That's what the deception is. But... If you can't learn how to rejoice in the now, you're going to have to take this you with you into the next. And that next will be the now. And you will still find yourself incapable of rejoicing in the day the Lord has made. If you take this you into the next, it won't be any different than it is now. So you have to learn to rejoice in the now and then take that rejoicing with you into the next. So no matter what your next looks like, you will find joy in it. 1 Thessalonians five sixteen through 18 says this way. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Not for all circumstances. But give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now this is not an excuse. Not an excuse to hurt people with your rejoicing. We don't in the middle of someone's grief say hallelujah. And we don't in the trajectory of somebody's tragedy say buck up and praise. And we don't, at the center of someone else's struggle, say God works all things for good. There may be times to keep your rejoicing to yourself and to mourn with those who mourn. But we can, and I would argue that we have to, in the midst of our own junk, in the track of our own tragedy, in the stuckness of our own struggle, discipline ourselves to look around at our real life and say, even here, this is the day the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. For this is that day, and we don't want to miss this day. This is the only this day you'll ever get. I mean, you can tell yourself whatever you want, but this is the only this day that will ever happen. And if you miss it, it's gone, and you never get it back. Perhaps for some of you, discipline and joy don't tend to cohabitate. Maybe they're not friends. When you think of joy, you might think of a spontaneous eruption of good feelings and warm fuzzies and all that kind of stuff. And so if joy doesn't just happen, you think it's not the plan. It's not how you wire. You're wired. You know, I'm just kind of a pessimist. Or you might just say, like, no, it, it didn't just come upon me, so I don't feel happy. More and more, I realize that in our culture, and I, I I can't speak for all generations, but I can speak for mine and on down to the ones that are currently in the university, that the organic outranks the Intentional. That, that we, we, we love anything that's spontaneous. We think that's far better than anything we would have had to discipline ourselves to. So the friendships that just happen and we just click, oh, those friendships are far better than those that we commit ourselves to even when they're awkward. The, those things that we, you, you can look, I mean, you can charge more. You go to the organic section. I don't know if you've been there lately, but you gotta pay like six bucks for an apple because we, the organic outranks the intentionally grown. And there's some good about that, but there's a deception in there. Because whether it be a friendship or a relationship, if it doesn't just happen, sometimes it's still good and God ordained. Joy and celebration and thanksgiving actually are learned skills. They're not spontaneous things that happen in our life. Again, John Ortberg in that same chapter says people who want to pursue joy have to practice the discipline of celebration. And I agree. Joy is not just an emotion, it's a state of mind that I discipline my thoughts towards. I do this by holding negative thoughts captive. I mean, I don't know, but I think a lot of our culture is letting their thoughts think them. That Their thoughts come and they just let their thoughts run around willy-nilly in their head, unchaperoned. But when I have a thought, I actually listen to the thought. And I'm not condemned for the thought, and some of them aren't good. I can't help the thoughts that I think. Sometimes thoughts are thinking me. Uh, But when they come I am responsible at that moment for taking it captive. That's what paul says Take every thought captive and submit it to the lord jesus christ And and so when that thought comes in I I I greet it because I am hospitable I say how are you doing thought and I think "Whew! I don't want to invite you in for tea and then I ask it to leave But I intentionally invite in for tea thoughts that bring joy celebration and the glory of god and the advancement of the kingdom in my mind we have to purposefully let loose joyful and thankful thoughts and hold thoughts that don't belong there captive and ask them to leave. But so much of our culture is letting their thoughts think them as if you don't have any control over your mental life. It's one of the great things about the humans God created them, created because he gave them the possibility of holding thoughts captive. There isn't any other creature that can do that. Every other creature has to just go with whatever thought fires in their brain. But god gave us the power to hold things captive and to let things loose I walk through the mud to smell flowers On gray days. I gotta be honest. I think about the color orange When in the present I can't seem to connect with god I intentionally make lists in my head of all the goodness. I remember of him I recite the promises of god for my future I'm honest about my negative emotion, oh, negative emotions. I'm not in denial of it. I have bad days and grumpy days but I don't let them have too loud of voice because they're not the boss of me. I am the boss of them. I used to lead a self-help group at a homeless shelter. Uh, in that homeless shelter, the self-help group was for mental health. A lot of people that are homeless, whether, uh, whether their mental illness made them homeless or their homelessness gave them a mental illness. Mental illness is a, a byproduct or cohabitates in homelessness a lot. In this group, a grow group, is a mental health support group, primarily for people that are bipolar or schizophrenic. One of the first things we teach the the people in that grow group is this phrase. Feelings are like children. You can tell them when to speak. Psychologists have determined that a healthy person, someone who is not mentally ill, knows how to parent their emotions. Now, we got lots of kids in here. So let me, anybody under 10, I'm probably, you still do it if you're 13 and under. Raise your hand if you're under 10. So I got a bunch over here. Okay. How many of you have done this in your life? Mom, 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 mom. How many have done that? Or dad, 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 dad. Anybody? Okay. You know what that's like, right? How many parents know what that's like? Right. It's incessant. <laughs> and I don't have children, but I have college students and they're similar. And uh, <laughs> Pastor Judy, Pastor Judy, Pastor Judy. Mom, 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 mom. Sometimes our emotions are like that. And, and, and they just are there all the time. But a good parent and kids all listen to this. If your parents are good, this is what they'll tell you. Not right now. You're interrupting me. Be quiet for a moment, but I will get back to you. And then you're going to learn the discipline of being quiet. And then they're going to learn the discipline of coming back to you. <laughs> Even when they don't want to. <laughs> and, and But they're going to come back to you. Our emotions are like that. So often our emotions are like, Judy, 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 Judy. And we just think that we're at their beck and call. This is a request. This is not a demand. I don't have to answer every request upon my emotions. So I say, no, no, not right now. I'm working. I'm praising. I'm rejoicing, but I'll get back to you later. Feelings are like children. You can tell them when to think. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus that gives thanks in all circumstances, that, that knows that this is the day the Lord has made, you're going to have to learn how to take captive your thoughts and parent your emotions. There is no other way. You have to learn that discipline. If you want to rejoice always and give thanks in all circumstances, discipline's going to be required. You're going to have to silence some voices that have, have begun to think your thoughts for you. And you're going to have to let loose some others. To live your real life, you're going to need to practice a discipline of celebration where the voices of joy and thanksgiving are, giving, giving are given space to speak. I find it works best when we follow the guidelines in Philippians 4, 4-9. through 9. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to read it in two different translations. Philippians 4, 4-9. through 9. I'm going to read the NIV first. It says this, rejoice in the Lord always, and I'm going to say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure. Whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. And let me read the message translation. Always good to read someone else's take on it. It gives us a little more expanded view on ways we could read the Greek. Celebrate God all day, every day. I mean, revel in him. Make it as clear as you can to all that you meet that you're on their side. Working with them and not against them. Help them see that the master is about to arrive. He could show up at any minute. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. Letting God know your concerns. And before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness. Everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful that what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Summing it all up, friends, I say you'll do the best by filling your minds and meditating on things that are true and noble and reputable and authentic and compelling and gracious. The best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly. Things to praise, not things to curse. Rejoice and celebrate God all day, every day. Revel in Him and remember He's here not just in here, but all day out there. When I was first given these verses to memorize, I loved people who challenged me towards scripture memory early on in my walk. And if you don't have the discipline of scripture memory, I commend it to you as one of the best ways to get to know God's heart. Get a stack of cards, keep them at your desk, get your kids to commit to it. But when I first got this, somebody said, memorize Philippians 4, 6, and 7. And it starts with be anxious about nothing, but in everything by prayer and petition, present your requests to God. With thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And I kept trying to memorize it. I'm like, oh, yeah, be anxious about nothing, be anxious about nothing. And when anxiety would come, I'd be like, no, be anxious about nothing, be anxious about nothing. But I couldn't be anxious about nothing. I was anxious all the time. But then I opened the Bible and read it for myself. And I read it in the context of which that verse actually comes, which is the best way to read verses. And and, and that verse begins, the Lord is near, be anxious about nothing. The Lord is near is actually how it begins. And that's why we can rejoice the reason we're not to worry is not because there aren't things to worry about There's plenty to worry about for me as well as you There's plenty to worry about But the reason we're not to worry is because the lord is near and when we revel in the lord's nearness It puts our anxiety in a in not an unimportant place, but a relatively important place The lord is near and it says in scripture. He brings good news of great joy In fact, that's how jesus is announced and Jesus' arrival is announced with much joy. A choir, not a solely, solo, lonely little voice. But this choir announces them as good news of great joy. God's here. Therefore, there's now going to be peace on earth. A peace that makes no sense. It's now going to be possible for people not to fret and worry. They can be done with anxious thinking for God is near and this is great joy. For he brings peace to all people. The Lord is near. Do you know that when Jesus announced his own ministry, you know how he announced it? As a year, as, as a time of jubilee. <laughs> jubilee. Jesus said, if you want to know what I'm about, I'm about jubilee. Where slaves are free, where blind see, where widows are taken care of, of orphans are fed, where, 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 the, where the freedom of God is let loose. I'm going to announce a time of jubilee. I'm going to cancel debts. And the Lord that is near before he left the earth, he prayed not, not that we would toil away till his kingdom come and be like, God has suffered for Jesus. I mean, he did not pray that we would just learn to suffer for Jesus. He prayed that the joy of Christ would be in us and that it would be full, that this is the way the kingdom was going to advance, not in solemn, sad, suffering, oh, Jesus, a God of serve him But he said, I want the joy of the Lord to be in you and your joy to be full. One of the things I learned while memorizing Galatians 2.20 is this. It says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, and yet Christ lives within me. One of the greatest contractual truths you will ever know if you're trying to figure out how to live for Christ is it isn't about being authentic to yourself. If you want me to be authentic to myself, it is a cesspool of ridiculousness. I'm so inconsistent, it's crazy internally. But I'm not trying to be authentic to me. All my students say, I just want to be authentic, really, to yourself. It isn't very fun. but, But here's the good news. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, and Christ lives within me. So that when I don't like the worship song, I just consult Jesus. Do you like this? And he's like, I love it, and I worship, and I'm authentic to Christ within me. When I don't want to forgive that person, I say, Jesus, do you want to forgive them? And he says, yes, and I forgive them, not because it's authentic to me, because Christ in me commands me to do that. I don't always feel joyful, but his joy in me is going to be full and complete. And so when I don't feel joy, it's not inauthentic to be joyful. I just default to Christ. I crucify myself. And I said, do you want to be joyful? What do you see that's worthy of joy in this day? I think it's important that we realize that our joy is meant to be complete. It's not supposed to be halfway rejoice and celebrate god all day every day revel in him and remember he's near not just in here but out there right now in the midst of anxious situations he is there and we can find him i was in colorado a couple months ago and and my husband works for united airlines um loading and losing your luggage and uh i'd like to say loading but we like to be honest and so um but he works on the ramp, and, and so because of that, I have flight benefits, and so I often fly for free. And uh, but I fly standby, and United um, right now has oversold all of its flights, so to fly standby is pretty brutal. I mean, it's like kind of like lottery or gambling or something. And so I spend entire days in airports. And I was coming back from uh, the Denver airport, and I needed an appointment the next day, so I really needed to get on this flight. And um, I was traveling with with a bunch of my uh, Covenant Church elders. And and they all had tickets, <laughs> and um, so they were waiting back here. And, and I went up to the the, the line to wait. And um, this is no offense to the gate agents, but we are—I mean, they can't stand us. I mean, we're—I mean, we so want a flight. We're so annoying. And and they feel bad and they don't want to feel bad. So they're just mean <laughs> mostly So when we come up to the gate, we try to make ourselves feel small be small and non-threatening uh, And and so I was standing and I, there was a gentleman behind the desk and I was waiting in line and and I was trying to be Small and non-threatening with my ticket and and uh, I got to the front of the line And I kept kind of glancing to see if he'd call me up and he said Come on over here little lady Okay. So I got up to the desk of a very tall African-American gentleman by the name of Rufus Lovett. And, uh, and I said, uh, hi Rufus, I'm, I'm a standby. Sorry about that. And, uh, um, I'm just wondering if there's any seats available. He said, well, let me just see what I can do for you head started to perk up. My anxiety started to crease. I thought maybe the Lord is near. <laughs> I mean, maybe some, a miracle is happening. And, and so I was standing there and, and I noticed he had a Bible sitting right on the lectern, right by his thing. I said, Hey, Rufus, cause you should all ca- always call somebody by their name, your waitress, the person at the gas station. It makes them more human. So uh, Rufus, I said, um, um, w- did you read anything good today? And he began to quote a passage from Philippians. I said, that is good news. And he said, it's been a good day. I said, what's good about today? He's like, I'm serving you. I'm like, anxiety's going down. The Lord is very near. And, and so I got really bold. And I said, hey, Rufus, after he gave me a seat in first class, uh, which was a little awkward because all my elders were back in the back. Anyways, but <laughs> that being said, rejoice in the Lord always. And, uh, and, and I said, hey, Rufus, um, hey, I'm wondering, could I pray for you? you know, cause he blessed me. I wanted to bless him back. And, and, and I expect, you know, this quick little, just little blessing, little prayer. Cause it's a little awkward, you know, I mean, people are behind me live and Rufus is like, pray for me. That would be great. So six foot six Rufus comes around the desk, right. And stands next to me. And now I'm feeling really awkward. So I thought I would do a really bold 30 second prayer. And, uh, and so I laid hands upon Rufus and I began to pray for him and, 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 and my anxiety's going up and going up because I'm just feeling so awkward. And, and then I was done. I thought it was great. I did my Faithful duty to pray for the world. And then Rufus said, and now I will pray for you. (laughs) (laughs) And Rufus raised his hands to the air and put his other hand on my head and began to call down God's blessings upon my life. And the Lord was very near. So often we're missing out on the joy of our life because we are in a hurry. We are anxious. We don't want to look dumb but Rufus called down God's blessings upon me. And my anxiety was gone because the Lord was near. Not because we did anything, but because God was near. Scripture says, start out with a, a recognizing that the Lord is near. That's how it begins. Without that recognition, this isn't going to work. And then ask him for what you need by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Instead of worrying, it says, pray. Uh, sit in the presence of Jesus and Pray. Joy and celebration and thanksgiving come when, when, we, when what we worry about and we realize that is not unknown to God. That's why important, it's important to say the Lord is near. <laughs> and he knows, he's not blind. He can see your life. And when we add thanksgiving as an act of remembrance, it even gets better when we begin to say, we thank you for all the ways you've already provided. We're in a building, we see, we walk, we, we hear, we're provided for. And then we ask. It just is the joy goes up and the anxiety goes down by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Joy and celebration and thanksgiving come and are the key to our real life when we realize we're not in this by ourselves. We have a God who listens to our prayers. We know a Jesus who intercedes for us on behalf of us at the throne of God. And we walk with a spirit that never leaves us abandoned or orphaned. If you want to experience joy in your real life, then discipline yourself. Discipline yourself to rejoice always and to do it with thanksgiving, remembering always that the Lord is near. And he's the one that brings good news and jubilee. And he's the one that wants our joy to be full. And this Lord, he, he hears your petitions and requests. My current petitions and requests always take on their proper proportion when I put them in perspective of the things I'm thankful for. And to quote the text, before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness. Everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. It's what I always call at school, the peace that makes no sense. The peace that passes all understanding. He says, summing it up, I'd say you do best by filling your minds and meditating on things that are true and noble and reputable and authentic and compelling and gracious. The best, not the worst. The beautiful, not the ugly. Things to praise, not things to curse. But don't stop there. Discipline your mind. Set your mind on true, noble, right, pure, lovely, and admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy things. I want the church to be known as one that always sets their mind on praiseworthy things. Right now, we set our minds on grumbling things. We are known as a grumbling people. I noticed on the news last night that you have a pride fest or a gay and lesbian gathering here in the city. And, uh, and I don't, I don't mean to, to call anybody out, but there's a gentleman who wanted to pass out Bibles there, which I think is uh, brilliant because the good news is the good news wherever it is. But you know what the announcer wanted to ask him or the interviewer, he said, uh, do you think it's fair that you're going to be here telling homosexuals they're going to hell? I mean, that's what it said on the news on WCCO or whatever your local channels are. I mean, this is what he knows. He doesn't know about Jubilee that this guy would be saying Jubilee. It's because our reputation precedes us. (laughs) We are meant to be a people that have Jubilee and joy to offer good news, no matter where we are. And we need to be the people that are known for always setting our mind on true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent and praiseworthy things. Now, this doesn't mean that we just condone everything, but it means it isn't what we're known for is not griping, complaining and fighting but excellent, praiseworthy, noble, and joyful things. Joy is not going to be something that comes and lands upon you and knocks you over. Joy is something that you often experience as an act of the will. It's a result of choosing to think upon certain things, to focus your mind, to take thoughts captive. To a large extent, I think joy flows from a certain kind of thinking. Joy flows from thinking on the best and the beautiful and praiseworthy things. Joy can be found all around you in your real life, if you think about such things, if you look for the other, I, I'm, I'm pretty confident you'll find a lot of that too. That's why it requires so much discipline to find and look for the praiseworthy things. If you don't discipline yourself to learn joy, all you'll see is the negative and you'll miss out on the now because when you, all you're seeing is negative, all you can think about is getting to the next. So you got to see the good in the now. So you want to stay there and not miss out on your real life. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This spring, a new graduate came to me about three weeks after school got out. And and they they came to my office to catch up and to dig into some deep stuff. And as the conversation unfolded, they told me about their world and their everyday after graduation, rent paying, friends that all moved away, work a day life. And they said to me, recently, I've been waking up in the morning and saying, this is my life. This is what I studied for. This is what all the hype was about. This is my life. And I understand that feeling. Sometimes I think we all look around and say, really? (laughs) I mean, this is it? Uh, But here's the deal. This is it. And this is what I told this young adult. I understand your emotions, but perhaps you can look at it this way. Because you're sighted and you can see, anyone who is blind at this very moment, if they were you, they would say, this is my life. Because you eat, anyone who is starving at this moment, if they got to be you this day, They would say this is my life Because you have a job to anyone who is unemployed if they got to be you they would say this is my life Because you can worship freely anyone who risks their life to know about god if they got to be you They would say this is my life This is our life Isn't it amazing? We get to live this life We get to have shelter over our heads and we get to eat and we get to walk and we get to turn on the faucet and have water and we get to sleep with the roof over our heads and we get friends and we get to worship freely and dream boldly and, 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 and to love with abandon and, and we get to live it all into the grace and, and presence of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who did not want to be far off but came close. This is our life. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. This is your only life. And this is the only this day you will ever get. This is the day, not tomorrow, not two weeks from Tuesday, not when you graduate or get a job, not when you get married or have kids or when they move away or when you have them come home on the weekends. This is it. This is your real life. Don't put it off till tomorrow. Don't put it off one more minute. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. Don't wait for your circumstances to change. For I am confident God is in these very circumstances. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let me pray for us. Uh, let me say this. If you, if you are not someone that knows that the Lord is near, so I mean, if you, if you, you come to church and you know the Lord is around, uh, I mean, it's, it's great to know the Lord is around, but actually the Lord wants to be near to you. And so if you are not someone that knows the Lord's nearness, and you want to invite him to be near to you, then I want to pray for you this morning just that the Lord would be near because all this will be impossible without that because you'll just be stuck being authentic to yourself. And so if you don't know the nearness of God, if you've never invited Jesus to be near to you, then I'm going to do that invitation and I invite you to pray that with me if you don't know the Lord's nearness. If you have known the Lord's nearness but you have not crucified yourself and you're still being authentic to you, well, this would be a good opportunity to pray for you too. <laughs> for, you, for you to be crucified with Christ, you no longer live. If you've done that, but your circumstances are feeling so overwhelming, let me stand with you in that place and, and let me uh, help you figure it out there's excellent and praiseworthy praiseworthy things. So let me pray for all three of those. Lord God, I thank you for this gr- group and this manifestation of your body and this movement of your kingdom here in Maple Grove. I thank you for the work you've already done in this place to draw us to you, uh, that there have been people that have thrown lines over cliffs to, to tether and bring back people that have been, been so over the edge. And Lord, I pray that this morning, that if there are people here that have known that you're around, but have never known you're near, Lord, that this day, that right now, that they would be able to say, come sit with me, dwell with me and in me. I want you to be with me. Jesus, I pray that you would come in companion with them. And just like you allowed me to be with that man on the, on the street, at, on Foster Avenue, and how you were with one me once, that you noticed me and you came near. And even when I didn't know how to respond, you put your arm around me and helped me to my feet. So I pray, Lord, for those who do not know how to respond, that this day you might sit next to them on the curb of their life. You might put your arm around their shoulder and they might find you very, very near. Lord, for those in this room who have known your nearness, but who have not accepted your talent challenge to be crucified with you, I pray that this day we might be crucified with you, that we might no longer covet or desire or seek after authenticity to ourselves. But we would want to be authentic to the Christ that dwells within us, who is joyful in all circumstances and whose joy is complete and who is announced as jubilee and good news of great joy. I pray, Lord, that we would be known as a people that are joyful, irrepressible, uncontainable, who are good news no matter where we go. I pray that we might be as bold as Rufus Lovett to not say quick prayers, but to come around the counters of our life, to raise our hands in the air and to call down blessings upon those that are anxious. And Lord, I pray for those in this room who are going through circumstances that seem so dark they cannot see where there will ever be joy again. Lord, I know that you came into this world and you were the light, and it says darkness could never overcome you. So I pray, Lord, that they would know your nearness and they would know no matter how dark it seems that that darkness will not overcome them. I pray that you would sustain them and that you would help them to think on admirable, true, pure, and praiseworthy things. Give them companions that hear them and help them to challenge even themselves to look around and find opportunities for their joy to be full. I pray, Lord, that we might know that this is our real life and this is the only this day we get. Help us to rejoice and be glad in it. In Jesus' name, amen.